You're listening to a podcast of Master Your Finances with me, Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional. Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on 1077thebronc.com. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Master Your Finances, presented by Certified Wealth Management and Investment. I am Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional located in Princeton, New Jersey. I can be reached through our website, which is www.cwmi.us. Or you can call me directly at 609-716-4700. This week, very pleased to have with us David Patrick Monk, who is an MSW, LSW, and also an LCADCI, as well as an ICGCC, which have to do with uh, helping people with addictions as well as gambling uh, issues. Uh, He's a clinically trained psychotherapist who uses psychodynamic as well as a variety of situationally appropriate client-centered approaches. He earned his master's degree in clinical social work from Rutgers University, where he focused on addiction counselor training, the study and clinical application of addiction and substance use abuse treatment. He has also completed training by the International Gambling Counselor Certification Board, He was clinically trained at two prominent substance abuse facilities in New Jersey. His first year was spent treating adults in an intensive outpatient environment. And his second year was spent treating adolescents in a residential facility. He earned his bachelor's degree in anthropology from Richard Stockton University in 1985, where he focused on cultural anthropology. He has also completed two years at the Philadelphia Jung Institute, where he studied the theory and clinical application of analytical psychology and the work of Carl Gustav Jung. He is currently enrolled in the spring 2020 semester at the Institute. He pursues the independent study of comparative religion, mythology, trauma-informed therapy, and the application of clinical strategies in uncovering and addressing early childhood trauma complex trauma as experienced uh, by veterans and first responders and mindfulness as it applies in clinical practice. Uh, David, I think it's uh, interesting. I'd like for you to kind of go through your background, but I actually met you at a financial advisor uh, meeting. So do you want to give us a little bit of your background and the path that led you to where you are today, if you could help us out? Sure. Thank you, Kurt. Uh, Yeah, the part of the uh, my history, which uh, I, I, I don't advertise these days, is I, I used to be a financial advisor, um, and uh, there was uh, I switched over uh, uh, going back to graduate school to do what I'm currently doing, and I had a, a successful practice uh, as an independent uh, uh, broker uh, doing uh, securities and insurance products. Um, but to me, there seemed there was a point in time when it just seemed to me that there was something else that I needed to do. Uh, and interestingly, uh, I, you and I, I think I've spoken about this previously. Um, but the uh, it, this goes back to uh, my, an experience that I had with clients around 2008. Uh, and it was a rather interesting experience for me because it, yeah, as you probably familiar to some extent. These were two two clients, a, a man and a woman that seemed to have managed to uh, stay married, 
uh, raise a family successfully. The kids were three kids. They were all independent and successful out there on their own. And, uh, and he, they had uh, the plan that he would retire at a particular point in time. Uh, he was a veteran. Uh, he was a, a, a very diligent guy, very thoughtful, very a bit, big part of his community. Um, and uh, prior to his coming in, he was in his employment situation was such that he had a defined benefit pension plan at one time that was converted uh, to a 401k. So uh, he had uh, a couple years of experience with a defined uh, uh, contribution plan, that, that being the 401k. The time that I met him was just uh, subsequent to the uh, falling apart of the markets and the economy in 2008. Uh, they came into my office and uh, presented his paperwork with this grand plan that they had of his retirement. And, um, and you know, upon looking at his paperwork, I had to be the one to tell him that he couldn't retire. Uh, unless, of course, he wanted to run out of money. And that was deeply, deeply troubling for them. And, and I shared how troubling it was because in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, here's a couple of people that really did everything right, you know. And, uh, and somehow they've been served up this situation, which, uh, which was really untoward for them and very stressful and very difficult. Um, so that was a big part of my decision to, to, to get out. Now, prior to that, I, we've spoken about this as well. Prior to that, um, I, I sort of had this other fascination with, with uh, as, uh, as, as strange as it sounds, with, with uh, the, the prevalence of suicide in our, in our culture. Um, and this story goes back to, uh, to uh, when my father was still alive. He lived in uh, South Amboy. And I used to go visit him from time to time. And uh, it was, this was around 2005, 2006. And I, I remember going to see him and, uh, and you know, he would always, uh, he was an avid reader, a very smart guy. And he always had a stack of newspapers out uh, that he would go through every day. And, and uh, the headline of the newspaper this one particular day was talking about uh, the, the construction of the new Victory Bridge. Now, if anybody knows the area up there on the Raritan River, the Victory Bridge was this low-lying bridge that needed to be opened every time uh, traffic came up the Raritan River. Um, so around 2005, 2006, they decided they were going to build a new bridge. So uh, the headline of that newspaper was a, a story talking about the, the evening that they opened that bridge. Uh, somebody had gone to the bridge and, and jumped. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, there was something about my noticing it at the time, which was puzzling to me. Um, and then over subsequent visits, there were more headlines. In other words, more people were going to that particular bridge and doing the same. Mm. And there was something about that that was uh, troubling and odd. And I began to scratch the surface of that and look around because we all have the internet now. Now, this was not something I find found out that was unique to uh, to that bridge. In fact, this was happening all over the place and uh, uh, all around the country, not just uh, not just there. Um, 
but uh, some of the most uh, poignant stories were coming out of the George Washington Bridge up up there and, and, and the trouble that the Port Authority was having trying to maintain uh, control and, and help people uh, who were feeling so uh, stressed that they opted for that. Um, so that was sort of the background that sort of led me up to this moment in my own life to decide to, to, to move into another field. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, uh, it, it was troubling, uh, you know, so, uh, when I was in graduate school, after I had made the decision to actually do this, um, I did some writing my, and some research on this subject myself. And, and I found some pretty puzzling, uh, puzzling numbers uh, to me. And I think I gave you, I sent you a copy of this. It was a, mm -hmm. uh, a list of these totals that go back to, uh, to 2005. And uh, I don't want to be too morbid about this, but it is some troubling stuff. And it is stuff that, uh, that, that I think people need to think about and consider, especially in light of the conditions that we're currently dealing with with COVID. Uh, because people's stress levels are through the roof and the stuff that I'm now experiencing in the consultation room, uh, the virtual consultation room is, is tremendous amounts of anxiety and stress. Um, but just to go back, the, the, you know, in 2005, uh, which were the numbers that I looked at, um, there were 27,223 people who committed suicide in the United States that year. Now, um, Fast forward a couple of years to 2008, which was the uh, uh, the financial crisis, the Great Recession. Um, there were 36,035 people that committed suicide that year. Uh, and uh, that was an increase of almost 7,000 people a year uh, to the year prior in 2007. So the you know, the issue that, that sort of began to strike me, and I'll fast forward to 2018, uh, which is the last year reported because the CDC, which is where all this numbers come from, the CDC reports this stuff every two years. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so 2018, the number was 48,344. So that's an increase in that brief period of time from 2005 to 2018, where, uh, which was an increase of 21,121 people were committing suicide every year in the United States um, each year. So uh, that to me, I, that threw up so many red flags to me that it required discussion, it required a conversation, it required uh, um, I think each of us have a have our own particular relationship to to this uh, and other forms of mental illness. But uh, uh, to me, it required uh, me to do what I'm currently doing. Well, David, I appreciate that. I mean, we're definitely going to get into more of that. We're about to come up on a break. But, yeah, the financial services is definitely, uh, from my perspective, tied very heavily into um, – the psychological world and mental health world, um, because that tends to be the major stressor, as you well know. So they are well tied together. Um, you're listening to Master Your Finances. Uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I am Kurt Baker here with David Monk. And we're talking about uh, how, David, you really you kind of transitioned from the financial services business into uh, your, your passion because you saw a need um, 
you know, in, in helping people uh, for, as far as psychology goes and, and assisting them in a, a therapeutic way, um, just I, I, I guess I have this conversation a lot myself because, as you know, my, my nonprofit side is involved in youth mental health. And, of course, my professional side is involved in helping people with finances. And I really kind of look at this as helping people with their mental health because, as you're probably well aware, finances tend to be either number one or very high up in the list of stressors that people have in their lives. And I, I personally believe that if, if you kind of help people to understand their finances and live comfortably within their own structure, their stress levels drop and they are much, much happier when they start to release themselves and really kind of put themselves in their, in their health first, their mental happiness first. And then the kind of the financial part falls in there. But, um, anyway, that's, uh, that's been kind of my own personal experience over the years. Um, and, and I know that the people that I know of that are very, very wealthy, you really can't tell that they're wealthy from an appearance standpoint. Um, they're really managed. They're just living well within their means. They're not necessarily making the highest income of people out there. They just accumulate because they tend to be very happy in a relatively minimal, minimalist, minimalist way. Right. Not that they, that they, they deny themselves, they just live well within what they can afford. So, I mean, what are your thoughts about that as far as how all that goes? Well, I, I think the connection is, is spot on. Um, and I, again, you, you make me think of, uh, of Tom Stanley's book, The Millionaire Mind, right? He, mm -hmm. he talked about that years ago in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the people who have accumulated uh, that kind of wealth. Generally, when you look at it, you wouldn't really know it because, uh, because they – haven't fallen for the trappings of of uh, of accumulation uh, for the sake of accumulation, right? They've kept mm -hmm. it simple and kept it kept accumulating. You know, driving a modest car. I, 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 it's been a year since I read it, but uh, but uh, all of the things that he said at the time uh, about basically being humble, I think, is is was my takeaway at the time. But yeah, it, there is a direct connection to. Uh, um, to finance and uh, and as you call it happiness, um, we, we we could talk later. Uh, you know, clinically, I, I I I'm not sure that that happiness is the goal as much as meaningfulness is mm -hmm. the goal. Um, but uh, but you know, recently there was a Washington Post article. Uh, in fact, it was on May fourth. But a gentleman by the name of William Wan, W A N. Um, and he, uh, he wrote an article in which he's talking about, uh, uh, for every point, uh, increase in unemployment, there was a 1.6% increase in the suicide rate. So the issue that we're having to confront now in the, in the context of COVID and all of these stressors that have been put on, uh, people, um, you know, with mandatory uh, stay at home, um, this is this has affected a lot of people throughout the strata of the economy, um, and it's sort of evidenced. And there's lots of other studies out there on this. Well, that, that's a major debate right now. Is is we all you know we all want to be safe from the virus, but we also have to recognize that secluding and putting people in isolation also has negative health, you know, health effects too. So you've got a real tricky process you have to go through where you don't want people to get sick from the virus, 
but you also don't want people to become unhealthy because they're isolated in, in situations where that's also affecting their health in a very negative way in some cases. For some of us, it's just an annoyance. For other people, it can be serious, uh, have a serious effect on their health. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, getting back to the point that you made, the issue is, is uh, it revolves around finance. And mm -hmm. uh, for me, uh, one of the things that I'm seeing in, uh, in, the, in my consultation room is the idea that uh, there are a lot of old wounds being opened as a result of this situation. There are a lot of new wounds being created. Um, but fundamentally, I think what we're dealing with is a sense of trauma on, on the part of everyone, right? There's, a, there's an individual trauma that is experienced differentially uh, throughout the population, but then there's this sort of collective or communal trauma that everyone is wrestling with. And as you alluded to, you know, the policy debates as are, are now ensuing as to what the, be the, the, the best path forward is. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the, um, the issue of, uh, of, uh, of finances as a trigger, right. Um, you know, it, 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 it's different across the across the, the strata of, of society uh, and you know some of my old clients that I still have a relationship with they're you know they're trying to manage uh, legacy wealth they're trying to manage uh, family relations in the context of raising kids who will eventually become leaders of the family wealth so to speak right who will be good stewards of what in, 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 in some cases was passed on to them. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so in, 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 in the context of what we're dealing with, the stress that's arising um, in, uh, in, in between couples, between families, um, between being stuck at home, essentially. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Is creating lots and lots of anxiety. Right. Uh, yeah, I think anxiety is a big one. And, and I think all, all of us are probably having some level of anxiety right now regarding what's happening, because this is really a brand new occurrence for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, we've literally never gone through this before, unless you're, you know, uh, whatever, 102 or three That's years right. old. Through the, through the yeah. maybe, maybe if you're one of those couple handfuls yeah. of people that live, you know, live through that for the majority of us this is really um, a brand new experience for us and we're all still kind of adjusting to it. Um, and those who already have pretty serious uh, anxiety issues for, you know, other reasons potentially to put this on top of it um, is really, um, I think it's an issue, right? I mean, what are you, what are you seeing? I mean, what are you telling people? I mean, as this has been happening, we're now a couple months into this, um, what changes are you seeing and how are you, helping people to kind of get through this because there will be an end to this. We're just, we just don't really know when it is or how we're going to process out of this. Right. We don't know how long this is going to take, but I think we're all confident that at some point we're going to come out the other end of this thing. Right. So yeah, I, how do we see that light at the end of the tunnel for those that are having trouble? So, so for, for someone who's in it, right. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's difficult to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Right. Um, and, I, um, I, uh, you know, people present with anxiety, um, overwhelming 
levels of anxiety, I try to calm them in 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 a in a in a in a way that uh, and, and and basically talk about the idea of what is anxiety, right? So anxiety fundamentally, you know, comes from a word that has an Indo-Germanic root, um, A-N-G, which is angst, uh, angina, uh, anxiety. Mm -hmm. And fundamentally what that root means is constriction, right? So someone who presents with those symptoms, we try to unravel or peel this uh, proverbial onion um, and try to understand what it is that's being constricted, right? And right. try to work through that in a way um, that empowers them and helps them to understand some of the stuff that is there, but they're not conscious of. Yeah, and I think it, yeah, it's interesting when you talk about constriction like that, because I know it's difficult when you're under a lot of pressure or stress. Mm -hmm. It's actually very hard to make decisions. That's right. Right. So you're yeah. so you're actually multiplying the problem, especially when you're dealing with something like this, where you need to make maybe more decisions and very important decisions. In some cases, like, do I go to work today? <laughs> you know, right. am, I, am I healthy enough to go to the grocery store? You know, am I going to be able to get the food or how do I get paid? I mean, yeah. there's a lot of things people are are, are having some trouble with, as a, you know. Um, and so when you're under this much stress, it, it's actually harder. Right. I, I think it, it, it is. And, and, you know, part of the, you know, you, 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 you said this earlier, I, you know, we, we have no frame to put this in mm -hmm. because it, it was our grandparents who had to deal with this uh, in 1918, right? right? And, you know, we're not quite sure what the, uh, the impact or what the wounding was on that generation, because not that long after that, they had to deal with the depression, right? So we, we don't really talk about the Spanish flu. What we talk about is the depression and the mindset that arose out of the depression, right? For that generation, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but, but, true. But, but frankly, that generation had a double whammy, right? Right, sure. Uh, in dealing with both of these things. And, and you know, so the, I guess the issue for me is is really you know what is being triggered here mm -hmm. right and 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 strangely i think that there is a uh, especially on that that idea of uh, collective trauma there there is a, a real breakdown um taking place is a lack of integration uh, the integration that previously existed amongst society family um uh, uh and all the supportive structures that were there have broken down and, uh, and, and, and to go back to, you know, uh, you know, I, I, and, and I'm not going to get wonky on this or theoretical, but, but, you know, Emile Durkheim years ago, who really wrote the seminal work on, on the study of suicide. And he talked about the, it being a result of, of a breakdown in, in social integration. Right. So yeah, that's a yeah, no, that's a great topic. I, we have to come up on a break here, but I, I definitely it. want to get into this, uh, the collective trauma and the lack of integration and what's been going on as far as how we've had to make adjustments and things that we need to be doing. Um, you're, you're listening to Master Your Finances. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I'm Kurt Baker here with David Monk. And uh, before the break, we were talking a little bit about the um, the collective trauma we're going through and how 
kind of a lack of integration is having some uh, side effects, so to speak, on all of us. You want to talk, speak a little bit to that, David, and, and maybe things that we could potentially do to kind of offset that to some degree? Because I know sure. it has a lot of ramifications in many levels right now. Uh, it, it, it does. And, uh, and again, I, I mentioned Durkheim earlier in terms of, uh, of uh, you know, how he defined uh, suicide at the time that he was writing about it and, uh, and, and talking about it as a breakdown of social integration. Um, so another aspect of this breakdown of social integration and, and, and suicide obviously is an extreme example of, 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 or an extreme result of this breakdown, right? But there are lots of other things in between, um, you know, a sense of anxiety and, and, a, and a complete breakdown, uh, which results in suicide. Um, but, uh, uh, but part of the, the communal trauma, I think, that, that we're working through um, has to do with this, uh, this disruption in, in a sense of belonging, Right. I, everything is so disrupted right now. Um, and, and sadly, I think part of the difficulty is um, uh, for for many of us, our identities are 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 directly connected to what we do. Mm -hmm. Right. So the, the, so then the question is, is if you are what you do and then you don't do it anymore. It means you aren't right. You follow what I'm saying, right? <laughs> I, I do, I do, and I, and I've heard of people like taking up new hobbies and new new, like they're learning things. Like my daughter's learning Latin right now and learning how to train a um, a falcon. That's a way to keep herself occupied. <laughs> I'm sure she's not the only one that's saying, "I can't do everything I used to do before." So let me find something of interest that I would never ever be able to do otherwise, and let me start doing some of it. Well, I think right. it's a it's a great <laughs> that's a response. Great credit. It's a great credit to you and her mother for having provided her with the sufficient space to become who she who she wants to be, right? Uh, we, we, maybe we provide her, she just takes it. I don't know. <laughs> it works out, though. Take the credit, Kurt. It works out good. Take the credit. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, th this, this breakdown or disruption in a sense of belonging uh, or connectedness, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, where where all of our values and norms uh, were have been completely undermined by this current situation, right? Right. So, so the symptoms people are experiencing in this context are are are, are deeply, deeply troubling, right? Mm -hmm. uh, um, and and you know, I I sort of. Uh, in, in jest talk about this idea of, of, uh, of, of identity, I, but it, but it is directly, uh, related to, to your sense of self. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I, I, I mentioned to you before, I mean, your program is master your finance, but, uh, but, but I think, uh, you know, really uh, from my perspective, I went from trying to teach people how to master their finance to, trying to teach people and work with people and mastering themselves. I, I would actually agree with that because really there's no way you're ever going to master your finances until you master yourself. <laughs> I would, I would have to agree with that. that, that statement. <laughs> with that, how many years of experience in the, in the, in the business? Uh, a few. A few. Thanks. All right. Yeah. Let's just say enough. 
<laughs> enough to know better. Yeah. But no, it's true. I mean, it, it really, yeah. a lot of it comes down to really understanding yourself and realizing, um, you know, what works for you and what doesn't work for you and then applying it. And that, and that may sound very simplistic, but it's, it's a lot easier said than done in many cases, as you well know, as well yeah. is, is we can have all the knowledge, uh, in the world, but if you can't apply it and feel, feel it being applied in a way that you understand that, that complies with your own personality and your own feelings, um, yeah. that, then it's, it's just really not going to work. And I, and I think that's part of what some people are going through now, honestly. And I'd, I'd be curious about your input on this because a lot of people are really doing a lot of self-reflection now yeah. that they're working from home and they're spending more time with their families and they're kind of readjusting their, um, I, I think their priorities are being readjusted. And I, I know a lot of people are having conversations about this balance. We call it balancing, I guess. I don't know what you want to call it, but I, I think you integrate your life personally, your work and your, and your home and everything really kind of integrates if you do it correctly because it yeah. all affects each other. Yeah. And you have to understand that that this all has a, has an effect on everything else, and it all has to work together. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. Well, I right? think that I think that's a brilliant observation. But it all again, it all sort of revolves around this notion of integration, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, you know. So so you know, Durkheim talking about social integration, uh, and and you know, we, we were talking about communal or collective trauma of this experience, but within that is is the individual sense, the individual trauma, um, in 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 terms of the interruption that has taken place, right, mm -hmm. um, and the break that breakdown of connectedness. Uh, it, it spawns a, a, a collective issue, but it, but it, that collective issue lands individually, right? Um, and it affects, uh, you know, uh, thinking. It affects the, a person's capacity to plan, uh, uh, and and uh, and and the other the other aspect of this is is, is it is it it affects and undermines their sim symbolic capacity. Yeah, right? I think yeah, you're bringing up two major points, which I think are really important, and I. Because we do have the, the 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 personal side of this, right? It affects us personally, but it affects us from a communal standpoint. Um, and I think the part that a lot of us have, are having struggling with, it's very hard to affect the entire community on your own. Yeah. Um, and so you see a lot of negative things occurring out there that you wish there was more you could do about. As an example, you know, many of these restaurants are closed and we know some of these owners and we're feeling very bad for these businesses that are unable to operate the way they would normally operate. And you know they're having a really tough time, even though you try to do everything you can to help them. Um, you're feeling a little bit like out of control, right? Even though it's not even your personal situation necessarily, um, and you'd love to help them as much as you can. And you feel like this, no matter what you do, it just doesn't seem like enough. And then, of course, on a personal level, you're trying to do what you can. But at least, at least from my perspective, I feel like at least I have a little bit more control about that, right? So you've got those kind of those two levels. You see society really having a big struggling a lot of people are struggling society and you, you, you kind of feel that, right. Even, even though it's not directly affecting you, but at some point it does. Right. Yeah, it, it does. And, and, you know, I, I mean, under the circumstances, there's really nowhere to hide here, you know? Right. So, so, you know, the, the, the question of, of, uh, of, of what the impact is on an, on the individual level, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you know, it, it it's very very it's very difficult. And uh, you know, w when you were talking, I was because I you, you mentioned restaurants. There was a uh, an article in uh, I think it was Apple News carried it, and I think it was a 
the writer was uh, uh, Lynn Steger Strong, uh, who writes for The Guardian as well. Um, but she mentions this, this other article, which was in the New York Times, um, regarding um, the restaurant Prune on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of the stuff, this restaurant had to, had to close down because of what was going on up there. And, you know, the, the owner of it, you know, it's been around for 20-something some, years, whatever it is. And, uh, and she, uh, she's talking about the idea that, you know, when this happened, she began to realize that she's always been one month away from disaster. Despite the fact that, you know, she has this, what everyone considered this incredibly successful restaurant. And I highly recommend looking at the article. It's, it, it's really quite interesting. And it was, it was, it was what, uh, what, what, what spurred Lynn Steger strong to, uh, to write the article about, uh, uh, about pretending, uh, and, uh, I can't find it right now, but she, 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 you know, she was talking about the idea that, you know, we're all kind of pretending under the circumstances. We're pretending that everything's okay, but underneath the surface, you know, we're trying to, uh, people who can will put on the best face. Right. Right. But fundamentally there's, there's, there's something very difficult uh, uh, going on um, that, that goes to a very deep level for a lot of folks. Oh, I, I have to agree with that. I mean, um, a lot of this really comes to the res- the realization, I, I think at least, is that you have to understand your own sense of, comp- you know, of self-worth, so to speak, above yep. what other, people's may- other people may think of you. I mean, you had the car example, right? It's like, do you really need a brand new car or do you just need a new car because you need to show it to somebody else, right? I mean, the average lifespan of a car is like seven years. So if you're keeping a car less than seven years you probably have to ask yourself, do you really need it? Right. I mean, that's just a simple example. Um, but you're right. I think people sometimes will do things and spend on things that aren't necessarily for them. Right. But I I think the question for me (laughs) is, can you find value in yourself? Right. Having kept the car, the old car, so to speak. And when we talk about old car, we, we we're probably talking about last year's model. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. So can you find meaning in life? Can you find it okay to live with that as opposed to having to externalize by accumulating something that's maybe beyond your means? But if it's not beyond your means, it it, it would certainly be a better strategic thing for you to, you know, to keep the money rather than spend the money. But that's that's a that's that's. You know, and, what, and that's a self-fulfilling issue, right? So if you if you're the person who always the la- has the latest and best of everything, yeah. that can get extremely expensive very fast, right? Yeah. And then if you're the person who's like, I can have things that are two or three years old, right. I mean the cost num- the cost of that goes down significantly um, if you're not trying to always have the latest and greatest of every single. Thing. That doesn't mean you can't have the best thing of certain things you like, right? Yeah. But um, I think what you're saying is is interesting because you, you develop your own trap almost if you start doing that. So I have a, I have a friend and uh, mentor, a uh, guy by the name of James Hollis, who I actually studied with as an undergraduate who went on to become a, a world-renowned analyst himself. Uh, and he wrote in one of his books about a, a gentleman who uh, would go out and buy 
a new car. And the way he characterized it was that once the windshield washer fluid was gone, it was time for a new car. Oh my word! Now, now was what? I mean, obviously he was a very wealthy guy, but 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 the, the underlying that was this need to sort of surround himself with these physical things, when fundamentally there was something, there was an emptiness there that he was right. trying to fill by 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 doing these th this level of communication uh, accumulation. Sorry. No, I agree. I agree. Yes. Well. Um fantastic information we have lots more to come uh you're listening to master your finances we'll be back in a few minutes welcome back you're listening to master your finances i'm kurt baker here with david monk and he's been going through some of the very interesting things that have been happening um in our society uh essentially due to the covid19 uh, pandemic that we're all uh working our way through and how that's affecting us on an individual basis as well as on a communal basis. So, um, David, I'll let you pick it up from there because there are a lot of effects happening out there, both positive and negative, um, which are deep rooted in some of the issues that we already had happening. Right. So, um, sure. you like to help us help us to understand that a little bit better. What's actually going on out there? Well, I think think one of the things that that puzzles me the most um, or puzzles me a lot um, is, uh, you, you know, different people's reaction to, to the, um, the communal tra trauma we were talking about earlier and, 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 or the individual trauma as expressed communally. Right. And we're all familiar with the, uh, you know, the celebrations that have taken place rightly. So of the heroic behavior of first responders and, um, healthcare workers and people who are in the hospitals, hospital workers, uh, and, and, and rightly so celebrated people are taking their pots and pans and, and, uh, in the city, I know it happens every, every seven o'clock every night. And, and, and it's really an, a very uplifting thing to be part of. Um, but on the other hand, there are, there's other people who are experiencing this differently. Right. Um, and, uh, and, you know, there are other people who are on their balconies yelling and screaming at their neighbors, um, for whatever reason. Um, and the example I'm thinking of had to do with somebody, a neighbor who was taken out on a stretcher with, uh, uh, who had COVID and apparently the issue was, um, you know, the fact that they were too close for these people. Uh, and therefore the reaction was anger, hostility. Uh, and, 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 and I guess what I'm touching on is that, that, you know, um, individuals will process this differently. Uh, mm -hmm. and I think we're all getting to see some of that, uh, how it's playing out, how the various reactions are playing out. Do you think that's how, somehow connected to the anxiety issue we were talking about earlier and, and the response <laughs> they're having to that, their own anxieties and their own concerns, about what's happening right now, because a lot of this is really still very much unknown to yeah. all of us, right? We're, yeah, we're, we're working our way through it, but there's a lot we don't know yet. I think that's a brilliant question, Kurt, and and I think that fundamentally, I think that is, you know, if 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 anxiety is defined as constriction of some kind, um, it, it it is it is a constriction that is also related uh, to fear, right? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, I think what's happening in the context of what we're having to deal with is that this fear is triggering uh, the, a, a, a primal aspect of ourselves um, that uh, sort of is welling up uh, from the depths. And it's the issue that, that I try to deal with in, in therapy and creating a therapeutic relationship that uh, allows people that brings uh, uh, people to a level of comfort where they can do this type of digging. Right. Mm -hmm. And begin have them begin to understand what this fear is that, that, that is out there. Uh, And the expression that I mentioned about, you know, not everyone is out there every, every set seven at seven o'clock celebrating. Right. Some yeah, people. I think you brought up a very valid point. Is sometimes when we respond to things, yeah. I think a lot of times, whether it's ourselves or another person, I think sometimes we need to take a take a pause and say, "Why are we responding to this? What's the underlying reason that maybe we're responding?" Right? Right. Um, whether it's somebody else or ourselves, I think that's valuable sometimes because we also have a, like, why? Why are they? You know, why did that person get up so upset because somebody was taken out on a stretch on COVID? Wouldn't you feel sorry for them? But, but, but there's a real response because there's some concerns they're having for themselves. And I think if they understood that and we yeah. understood it, maybe there's a way to help. I guess is all I'm thinking. Right? I, I think that's that's. I think that's exactly it. And and again, we're, what we're talking about is fear. What we're talking about is panic, which is a, a, a very individual, not mm-hmm. communal response right it's uh you know uh, it, it and it has to do with something that's invisible right right we're talking about a virus you can't see it you can't quantify it. you can't put your finger on it just yet and and the 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 fear the level of fear is, is connected in some ways to to the invisibility of what's being presented out there Right. And, you know, and, and, and that in many ways is is precipitating this this mass suspicion of of the other. Right. I, I think that's other. very true. Yeah. Right? No, I think it's true. And I think we're all, as you pointed out, we're all responding to this different. I remember even early on in this process is when once we knew it was very serious, some people were of the of the of, of the opinion that this is nothing. I'm going to go out and just live my life just like I did two weeks ago. And other people are like. I'm not leaving my house ever mm-hmm. and everybody in between. Right. Some people are literally paralyzed where they weren't leaving and other, you know, those are probably two extremes that neither one of them is really pretty good. It was very good, but, but we're, we're all on that scale somewhere. Right. That's and, right. And we're all, we all have to understand that everybody else is probably in a slightly different place than we are. And I think we have to at least appreciate that and understand that we're all responding a little differently based on our own circumstances. Right. And those around us. Yeah, I, I think I think that's it. Um, um, I, 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 you know, I go back to this this idea of uh, of mass suspicion, and and some of these these right. thoughts came from a guy. A guy's name, he's an Italian analyst. He, he uh, a guy by the name of Mario Perini. Uh, it, it's very interesting stuff that he's done. Um, and, but he he had this very interesting statement to describe the 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 pathological level of fear that some people are experiencing and he says this 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 disease this this virus uh he says we're all orphans Mm -hmm. right because the material that it's stimulating that it's bringing up has to do with a a a very primal sense of themselves Mm -hmm. and that that fear is overwhelming to people right 
And, right. and, and overwhelmment is one of those primal fears that everyone walks around with, right? And depending upon the nature of your own self, your own mastery of self, if you will, getting mm-hmm. back to what we talked about in the beginning, um, uh, you know, will determine whether or not your response to this is pathological or not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, you know, we're all orphans and, you know, lacking the protection of mother and father. And, and in this case, the collective, because the collective is broken down as well. That, that's right. That it's hard. Right. <laughs> so so that, that, that kind of leads me back to maybe what are some things that we can do to help ourselves and to help each other? Because um, I think we have a little ways to go on this. For sure, right? And maybe we can learn I, something from it. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right about that. Now, um, you know, so for me, I mean, the question is, you know, I mean, what can what can therapy offer? I, from from my point of view, right? Because um, um, that's what I do, and and in some ways, you know, uh, therapy is is a, a vac a vaccination against fear, if you will, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's it's about uh, it's about rendering what's unconscious conscious, right? And being able to manage, uh, develop strategies to manage um, in in a in a in a in a non pathological way, right? Um, and it's the develop developing the capacity of awareness, developing the co- capacity of consciousness, developing the capacity for thinking uh, beyond fear, right? So the 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 issue. Uh, um, I think that I remind my clients often is that, you know, you can't escape uh, ambivalence. You can't escape ambiguity. You can't escape anxiety mm-hmm. in many ways. Anxiety is a part of living, right? So the question then becomes, what can we do in the course of our treatment, in the course of our daily lives, to better reckon with these three menaces, right? That 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 stir a lot of people toward pathological behavior. Um, substance abuse being another one, which we talked right. about in the beginning. But uh, the question is, what can we do? Um, and, and, you know, can we reimagine ourselves? Can we reimagine our relations with others? And, and, and when I, you know, with, with others, I do couples counseling as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes the, it's the beloved that takes the brunt. Right? Yeah, sure. Because they're right there, right? Because <laughs> they're right there in, in, in the face of this lockdown. And right. it's a terrible thing. Um, but you know, you know, I think we may have discussed this in the break. But the, you know, the the the, the you know, the, the numbers are coming out on domestic violence as well in the right. context context of this stuff. So, you know, again, it's it's working with people to develop these capacities um, to 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 recognize that that you know, you know, maybe we shouldn't be lashing out at the beloved, whether it's the kids, whether it's our spouse whoever it may be, um, that in fact, those are part and parcel of the foundation blocks of, a of rebuilding a sense of integration. 
No, I think that's true. And you mentioned this just a few minutes ago, but I thought I thought that was a very for me it caught my my ear, so to speak, is to make the unconscious conscious, right? To to better understand, and then because you can't really solve a problem until you know what it is, right? You can't <laughs> help right. yourself until you. I mean, we don't know what we don't know, right? And if we're acting a certain way, I mean, I know all couples have gone through this. Like you say yeah. or do something, and the and your your spouse responds like, "Why are you doing it that way? You're you're offending me." You're like, "Well, I'm not. It's not intended to offend you, right. um, but you're doing something you think is perfectly fine, but it's being received in a totally different way than you think it's being received. That's and right. until that's brought to surface, you can't even start to fix it, right? Yeah. And once you understand that, you're like, okay. Uh, maybe I don't fix it right away, but at least I understand that, okay, it's a problem, right? And maybe now we can figure out what we might be able to do. <laughs> I got married when I was 26 years old, and I, I guess at a young age, I had some sense of, of, of what that what marriage business was all about. And I remember writing in the vows of, uh, of for our wedding that, uh, that uh, essentially being in relationship with another human being is equivalent to struggle, right? Mm-hmm. There's stuff <laughs> suffering involved in this. So the, right. the way in which we go about suffering, the way in which we go about struggling in the context of our relations matters. Right. right? And, 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 you know, fundamentally, um, you know, you ask the question, what, what can we do? Um, we can all take a time out, right? We can all, right. you know, pause and try to, put this try to master ourselves if you will absolutely um any, any final thoughts david before we break uh, you've been this has been amazing and very very appropriate for what i think we're all going through right now and i really appreciate you coming on and talking about uh, really how important all this is from a from really from a mental health perspective and from our for our psyche and and financials and how it all really kind of blends together and it affects us individually as well as as a community and there's a lot going on and i think if we recognize that that is happening and maybe there's some steps that we can take and you've been very helpful with that today i think i i'm very grateful to you kurt and uh, i'm very grateful to have met you um and and know the work that you're doing not just in the financial world but uh, uh with the work that your not-for-profit is doing um and that to me is deeply deeply moving and uh i you know i give you tremendous amounts of credit for, for doing that because fundamentally I think in the course of the work that you're doing, you're making the world a better place. And, and, and I'm very happy to, to be here, uh, to be part of the discussion that, uh, uh, that's required, uh, as we all try to figure out where we fit in here. <laughs> well, so. well, thanks again, David, again, appreciate it very much. Um, You've been listening to uh, Master Your Finances. Um, I can be reached at 609-716-4700. You can listen to this um, podcast and all the podcasts that we have by going to masteryourfinances.us. And remember, together we can master your finances so you can enjoy financial peace of mind.